I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. Today I'm being joined by the one and only, damned lucky, Jesse. How are you, my dear? I'm doing awesome. Sweet. Well, we do have a crazy jam-packed episode this week. I mean, really, this is going to go long, and maybe even by the long versions of the show standards. So for those of you who feel like you don't get enough nine cents, you're going to get an extra dose today. And for those of you who can barely handle getting through it, you may want to sit this one out. It is December 1st and we do have a great show for you. Uh, Full disclosure, I have been drinking heavily today, so I'm trying my damnedest to maintain, but I do feel like I want to just blurt out strange things. I'm not going to. (laughs) <laughs> How was your week, Jesse? Busy. Busy as hell. Actually, a couple weeks since we last talked. Yeah, it's, I, you know, it's Christmas and Thanksgiving. <laughs> they end What'd up being, Thanksgiving? Uh, they end up being more compulsion than indulgence for me. And that's part of being married is what it comes down to. I would rather skip about? Christmas altogether, but nope. We're having like 20 people over, 30 people oh. over, 40 people. I forget how many people over. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Are you catering this yourself? Or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be nice entertaining for a little while. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Are these people you enjoy or – Friends of a friend. Uh, mostly relatives, so about a third. About a third I enjoy. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> um, well, good luck with that. Yeah. It wouldn't be the holidays without one solid family fight. Yeah. <laughs> in my experience. <laughs> That's cool. Um, well, did you have family over for Thanksgiving? We went to my in-laws for Thanksgiving, which was, again, more compulsion than indulgence. But the meal was good. I can't, yeah, I, I can't complain about that. Yeah. What about Black Friday? Did you dive into any mad shopping? Did none whatsoever. Oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I am a fervent Buy Nothing Day supporter. Not necessarily for the movement that has grown up around it, but just because... I think it's the worst of humanity, so I don't want to participate. But um, that's cool. That's that's it's nice to find other people who, even if it's just because you just didn't feel like getting up, um, whether you know it's conscious decision or not. I think it's a good thing. Um, it's tough because as human beings, you know, we sort of live in this reality of consumption. Um, but I think you know, as with anything, we need to moderate and. 
a day like Black Friday, in my opinion, is um, overconsumption. And that's something as a Satanist I cannot abide. So, I don't know. Plus, there's some economic and political things that I, I don't necessarily agree with that help me stay away. But when I was in college, I found this uh, really cool magazine um, called Adbusters. And it introduced this idea of buy nothing day to me. And though I don't agree with all of the sort of, I guess I'll say fringe progressive slash um, socialist agendas behind the magazine, I do truly like the concept of uh, taking control of one's government or political society. Um, taking back control, I should say, wresting it away from the powers that be, uh, which is sort of at the center of this magazine. And so I, I appreciated that movement and I really liked the idea of not, like going out of my way not to shop on that day. Though I did return a broken-ass router, but I don't, <laughs> I didn't buy anything, so I don't count it. Um, my Thanksgiving was kind of cool. I, I had a, a nephew over and this is the first time that he came over uh, for any anything more than a couple hours of dinner, you know, and just dinner and discussion. And it was nice because we drank and we were listening to some punk and it was, you know, went around and did the whole, you know, what are you thankful for? But mainly it was just this wild indulgence in food and drink. It was fantastic. So I had a really, really good holiday. If you don't mind my asking, the nephew, like early teens, late teens, early? Um, 22. Okay, so yeah, okay, so he's already an adult, an adult, and you can relate to him at that level. I was just wondering because, you know, you get older kids over, and you you see them developing into really cool people or really big assholes, one or the other, <laughs> and it's fun to watch that. It you know because I have I think twenty one nieces and nephews at last. Count. What the fuck? Yeah. How is that even possible? Oh my god. <sighs> And how many of them are coming over for Christmas anyway? <laughs> oh my gosh! That I don't. I don't have any kids. It's me, my husband, and a cat. But yeah, we have big families. So <sighs> neither of you are polygamist. No, no. Wow. All right, <laughs> you got me beat. Um, each of my sisters have five kids, and I thought that was a lot, but <laughs> 20 some odd. Wow. Um, hey, you know what's great mm. to do in the holidays is listen to wonderful holiday music. So in the last – this is a horrible transition, by the way. In the last, um, uh, I don't know, two – in the only two holiday specials I've ever made, <laughs> in the last two holiday specials I made, um, I featured a song by One Hell of a Christmas, different songs each one, but this is a music uh, collection uh, project where they take old like holiday carols and sort of put a metal edge to them or they just make new ones like Krampus or stuff like that. Um, but it's a lot of fun and it's really a great way to celebrate the holidays for those of you who sort of hate uh, carols or Christmas music. Uh, One Hell of a Christmas and they actually just remastered and released some new uh, music which is the horrific holiday music for the Jaded Masses Volume 1 and you can actually get that at onehelloficchristmas.bandcamp.com and there's a lot of music 
available just for listening on YouTube and stuff. And I'm promoting this because one, I use their music in every single freaking holiday special I make, but also because I listen to it at work and at home. It's it's a fantastic metal and I, I'm okay with like traditional, you know, uh, Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin holiday songs. And I really dig some Elvis traditional holiday songs. And um, I even stretch a little bit into contemporary blues holiday songs, which, but, you know, very rare. Um, but Brian Setzer or Orchestra's sort of swing uh, rock take on it, I think, is on holiday tunes is amazing, and I really, really dig it when you can take something that's been around for, you know, 60, 70 years um, or more, depending on the tune, and make it your own. And this is exactly what One Hell of a Christmas did, and it's a lot of fun to listen to, and it sort of – it brings back the holiday in an exciting, energetic way. Um, so it's a lot of fun to listen to, and I suggest highly that everyone go out there. So I'm going to put – I'm going to put that – you are on the show notes, so check that out when you have the opportunity for this season's soundtrack. It's really great. But to the to this episode, I'm I'm rambling. I'm sorry. To this episode specifically, uh, we're starting off with "I Dream of Jesse," episode eight. I can't believe it's already been eight episodes. I know. And this is going to be New Year's resolution. And in the Infernal Informant, parents plead to be able to help terminally ill children die. And update three, Iran sees nuclear deal implementation starting by early January. And I have two segments to close out this show. First is the episode three of Old Nick Peep Show, and we're going to be talking about submissions of content. And then in the creature feature, I'm bringing you an interview with the front man of the band I Am Heresy. His name is Nathan Gray, and he was submitted or suggested by a listener. Thank you very much for suggesting that. I really appreciate it. I'm The more interaction I have with my audience, the more I love what I'm doing uh, because I am introduced to things that I didn't, I wasn't aware of, and I Am Heresy is one of those. Nathan Gray is a, a real gentleman. He was a lot of fun to talk to. I'm excited to bring you that interview at the tail end of the show. But before we get there, I would love to start off with this I Dream of Jesse. What do you think? Sounds good to me. All right, let's do it. Jesse! What do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd like you to address me as master. I, I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What do I look like, a belly dancer? Oh, I, I assume that was part, I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests that you may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle, he forgot to add the preservatives. Now the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it, call the number on the bottle and complain. It's that time of year, folks. Tis the season. Don't miss out. I'm not talking Christmas shopping or New Year's Eve parties or solstice rituals of any kind. I'm talking the time of year to announce to friends and family that you are turning over a new leaf. Forget the old you. It's time for the new you. Yes, the day when everything changes is fast approaching. What will that change be? Only you can decide. But you must advertise the is-to-be with great fanfare, as is the custom. I'm talking, of course, about the New Year's resolution. 
Now, hopefully by calling it the is-to-be, I've disabused you of any notion that I'm going to scoff this tradition as being a silly notion of the mindless masses. It's not silly, the masses' mindlessness notwithstanding. To come out and say you're going to do something beginning today is not silly at all. It's very serious. And woe to those who lose sight of the fact. But let's back up a minute and acknowledge why many of you may not hold this tradition in the highest regard. It's very gimmicky. Gyms use it to bump up their membership subscriptions. Wannabes use it as an ineffectual motivator. Local news teams use it to obtain feel-good stories to fill time rather than actually doing investigative journalism. Hack comedians use it to poke fun at people's failures. And addicts use it as their annual failed attempt anniversary to keep their loved ones strung along. Oh yes, there's lots of very good reasons to despise the practice of a New Year's resolution. But I prefer to salvage what's useful. Now, if you want to make a change in your life, you should of course make it, right here and now. If the change is so significant as to warrant a ritual beginning, okay, maybe put it off to the weekend when you have time to do a working. If the change is financial, it might make sense to do it at the start of a pay period. I could even see putting off a new household budget kind of goal until the start of the next month. But it is never ever justifiable to put off a needed change until one day of the year because somebody's got it marked as special on their calendar. That doesn't just apply to New Year's resolutions, by the way. I know Satanists like to start new ventures on Walpurgisnacht, but that only makes sense when you're doing something that takes months of prep work. If you're getting married on Walpurgisnacht, there's loads to do before the wedding, so it's not like you're putting off the work, you're just picking an official party date for it. When I say don't put off a needed change, I'm talking things like eating better, learning to play the piano, or setting new rules with your kids. You can decide right this minute that you're going to eat better, but that decision is meaningless unless you immediately act on it. So if you were thinking of making a New Year's resolution to eat better, go grab a carrot and start munching while you listen. I'm not advocating New Year's resolutions as a way of changing your life. I'm advocating taking advantage of the practice of announcing your intentions to change your habits. You say publicly that you're going to do something, then you do it and prove your power. Or you fail and have some fun. Alex, a 20-something warlock who frequents strip bars, says he's going to try online dating to see if he can find a woman to settle down with and raise a family. Word spreads and several ladies try for him, but after about a month with each, he finds they just aren't what he's looking for. Hannah, a young witch with an enormous ass, announces she's going to lose weight in 2014, but then fails and repeatedly laments her failures, pointing out her enormous ass to all the men who's glad she's still got it. Poor thing, she tries and tries. Don't you just want to give her a hug? Frank, a middle-aged office worker, says he's going to work out every day before coming into the office, and yet every now and then the boss sees him at his desk early. Frank will tell his boss, oh, I should have gone to the gym this morning, but I was worried about this project deadline. If Frank's boss also finds himself cutting into his personal life to get the job done, he'll appreciate Frank all the more. Strategic failures can be fun. I mean, all the examples I gave I made up, but the first one, the guy who's going to strip clubs while pretending he wants a wife... I knew a guy who did something very similar to that. Hard to believe how gullible some women can be, but then his family had money. I also knew a woman, middle-aged and heavyset, who couldn't lose weight despite every diet she tried. She therefore refused to wear pants because she thought they made her ass look big. We worked in a warehouse, so wearing skirts really made her stand out. And although we didn't work anywhere near each other, I have to imagine she put on quite a show whenever she had to kneel down or bend over to pick something up. Now, I don't know if all her failed diet attempts were deliberate failures, but if they were, 
Wow, this lady had it figured out. She met her husband at that company and was also a manager before I left. Now, personally, I don't think I can act well enough to pull off a strategic failure like that. I have the world's worst poker face. But that doesn't mean I can't use this holiday tradition to work some lesser magic by succeeding at my goal. The trick is announcing it to people who want or expect you to fail. Is there someone in your life who you hate, who hates you, but the two of you must always be civil? I'm thinking an in-law or a co-worker or a neighbor. Someone you wish would drop dead, but you can never say fuck off because of the nature of the relationship. Someone who also feels the same way about you. This is the person you want witnessing your New Year's resolution, even if you have to sort of announce it to someone else in their presence in order for them to get the message. Now this is a dangerous bit of magic, because if you fail to keep your resolution, it backfires tenfold. Failing in front of friends sucks. Failing in front of strangers is embarrassing. Failing in front of your enemies will give them a lifetime's worth of ammunition against you. Of course, that too can be used to your advantage if you tend to accept yourself even when you fail, but can act like they're hurting you when they aren't, but that's a whole other avenue of discussion I don't want to get into right now. For purposes of this episode, let's just say it sucks to give your enemies the satisfaction of failing at something they want you to fail at. What you want is to be talking about what a great decision it was to make that resolution sometime in August of next year, long after everyone else's resolution has been forgotten. You want to still be keeping yours and be able to throw it in the face of the person who wanted to see you fail. You want to be able to say, hey, I've lost 20 pounds, or I never realized how much money I was spending on cigarettes, or, you know, I used to hate school as a kid, but going back for my master's is so different. To succeed in front of your enemies feels damned good, especially if you can succeed at something they failed at. I sort of do this with my relatives, not that I consider them my enemies, but there are contexts in which they are certainly not on my side. And I do delight in standing out as the happiest, healthiest, most financially successful person in my family, as well as the only atheist. There's joy in setting goals and attaining them. There's joy in your enemy's disappointment. And thus, there is joy in disappointing your enemies by succeeding at your chosen goals. And hence, I'm bringing this up now, in early December, with a month to go before you would be making your resolution. It's time to start cheating. If you're going to announce the pursuit of a goal in front of an enemy who yearns to see you fail, you'd better damn well be sure you don't fail. A good assurance is to already be succeeding. Is your goal to lose weight? Start your diet today, right now in fact. You're already munching on carrots, right? Good. If you start to lose weight before January 1st, disguise it with a bulky sweater and leave an empty candy bar wrapper in the wastebasket. If your goal is to start saving money, start saving now. Don't buy anything you don't need. But between now and New Year's, show up in something that looks new and pricey. Something you haven't worn in years will work if it's high quality. Borrow something from a friend for a day if you have to. The point is to wear it before New Year's and to show regret at having spent money on it. This sets you up as someone who can't control their finances while you get control of your finances before announcing your resolution to get control of your finances. The thing is, if you want to make a change, it only works if it becomes a permanent habit. That carrot you're munching on isn't going to help unless you make a point of having a raw vegetable snack every time you listen to a podcast. Small changes that you can and will stick with are the keys to success. Can you and will you stick with eating carrots during podcasts? You don't even have to like the taste of carrots. You won't notice it if you're enjoying the podcast. What about a stalk of celery during the drive into work? Traffic will distract you from the stringiness. 
How about an apple as part of your lunch? Eat it first, get it out of the way, then have the ham and cheese sandwich. By the time you're done with the sandwich, you won't even be tasting the apple anymore. Can you make enough small changes to warrant calling it a resolution? Can you stick to these changes? Here's your month to find out. Now don't lie to yourself. If you fail, forget about it. But if you succeed, and you feel confident you want to continue doing what you're doing, if you feel more comfortable keeping the change than you would going back to the old routine, then by all means, make the resolution. Act like it's a really big deal and announce before all your detractors that you have decided to change your life. I am making a New Year's resolution, and this time, emphasize those two words, this time, I am going to stick to it. And you are going to stick to it, because you already have been. Here we go. Hey, what's going on fast? Uh, infernal foreman. Get on the truck. You out there. Parents plead to be able to help terminally ill children. This is from CNN, dated November 27th, from Diane Magny. As little Ella Louise faded away, her tiny frail body racked with pain, her heartbroken mother was left to look on, feeling powerless. Linda Van Roy said she could do nothing to help her terminally, terminally ill baby in the last hours of her life. In that period, they tell you it's best not to give any fluids because babies survive on little drops of liquid, she said. So we stopped feeding her. In the end, it was bones and skin and no more baby left. Ten-month-old Ella Louise died two years ago with Crabe disease, a rare terminal genetic mutation that damages the nervous system. In the final days of Ella Louise's life, when she was being given palliative sedation, Van Roy of Schild, Belgium, said she could still see the agony on her daughter's face. She died on Tuesday. On Monday, we saw her face, and she was still in pain. And then you start to get angry because you know that there's no medication left to give her to take away the pain. She wishes she could have administered a fatal dose of medication to make the end of her daughter's life short and shorter and come more quickly. Belgium legalized euthanasia in 2002 for those in constant and unbearable physical or mental suffering that cannot be alleviated. Minors were included in the original proposals, but were left out of the final legislation for, for political reasons. Now the country's lawmakers are debating a bill which would extend the right to die to those under the age of 18 who are terminally ill and in, an, in intolerable pain. Uh, the bill cleared the Senate committee vote on Wednesday. It must clear several other hurdles before becoming law. Since Ella Louise's was only a baby, her case would never have qualified for euthanasia. Under the current rules, the patient must be able to make a repeated request for euthanasia themselves while experiencing unbearable suffering of which there is no prospect for improvement. But Van Roy believes that children and parents of sick babies should have more options, including the right to choose when to die. We want those children to be able to talk about euthanasia. And if they really want to say, stop, this is it, I don't want it anymore, we want people to have a choice, she said. Polls show a majority of Belgians agree with the principle of offering euthanasia to children. The current debate is less about whether or not to extend the legislation and more about what conditions to apply to the law, from what age euthanasia should be available to whether that should be with or without parental consent. This month, 16 pediatricians wrote an open letter to two national newspapers demanding an extension of the practice. Gerlat van Berlaer 
from the Free University of Brussels was one of them. Doctors do not Doctors do terminate the lives of children as well as adults, but today it's done in a gray zone or in the dark because it's illegal, he said. This means that there is a lot of room to do things the wrong way. Van Berlaer stresses that the that only a tiny number of children would ever choose to end their lives this way. Children with cancer, for example, who are still in charge of their cognitive faculties, but in terrible pain. Can, can I step in here really quick? Sure. Um, I'm not sure much, how much more we need to read to get the, the point of this article. Um, it brings up a number of really interesting uh, points for debate. Um, so first and foremost, at its base, do you think that this is a good idea to allow parents to euthanize their children? Uh, yes. Okay, but here's the thing. I think... I think any Satanist who's going to have an objection to this is probably going to have the objection that incompetent parents will make the wrong decision. And I recognize that that's a risk. But there's also the flip side risk where incompetent parents could, dis could choose not to let their child die for religious reasons, for hope of a cure, or for, for not understanding their child's suffering. That could so you know incompetence of the parents could work either way, and my feeling is I would rather see the law change to allow for more freedom until we see that that freedom is not a good idea. In general, in in any context, I would rather we see more freedom for individuals until that proves to be a bad reason, and then put restrictions on it. So in this case, I would say yes, definitely. I would say because, of course, I mean, you can't, you have a, you have a cutoff of 18 for things like, you know, sexual consent because you need a cutoff, not, not because that 18 marks a magical day in a person's life, but because for legislative reasons, you need a cutoff and you need a cutoff for this too. But I would say maybe at you know, birth to 12 years old, the parents make a decision, 12 years old to 18 years old, it's got to be consensual. The kid and the parents need to say it, and 18 on, only the kid needs to say it. Or something like that. You know, the numbers can change, but mm -hmm. have something like that to allow for the child to have some say in the matter too. But yes, definitely, I think it should be allowed. It is an interesting idea um, also to to give the child... A, an option. Um, and I guess only in the case of the child wanting to end it, I think, because if they're willing to put up with the pain that they're suffering, I mean, in any of these cases, the bottom line is they're going to die, whether it's later through a significant amount of pain and suffering, or whether you can just end it without that suffering and pain. So if the child is willing to suffer in order to extend their life, I think, yes, you should absolutely respect that because they're the ones having to put up with it. But what if they say no? What if they say no? I I want to die. Is is a child in a place where they they understand what that means? Well, that's why I think there should be an overlap. And I'm not sure exactly where the cutoff point should be. But say it's 12 years old. If a 12 year old kid says I want to die, they also need their parents' consent. So it's got to be both. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I do believe there's a point where a child will not understand the big picture. 
So what about if if the parent thinks that they should end it, but the child doesn't want them to? Then I would say let them live. Because one one things one or two one of two things gonna is gonna happen. Either the child is going to continue living in pain and then die and be okay with that, or the child is gonna continue living in pain and suddenly decide they don't wanna be in pain anymore and come to the you know, come around to their parents' point of view. Yeah. It's it's a really tough discussion to have because you have to put it into context. And when you when you have kids or when you've had people that you care about, nieces or nephews that, that you've spent time with, uh, growing up siblings, you know, you have to be able to put yourself in these individuals' position. And you realize that, you know, from the outside, saying that I want to kill my child is a horrible, horrible thing to say. And out of context, it makes no sense. Why would you want to kill your child? But inside of that context, when your child is going to die, but they're going to be in significant pain until that point... It makes perfect sense. You you love them. You want to, as a parent, it, it's or a caretaker. It's it's your role to um, protect them if you are po- if you're capable of protecting them. And in a case like this, where you know you don't control the physiology of it, another human being, you don't control how their body reacts to sickness or illness. So you can't control their pain. Um, all you want to do is help alleviate it and help them best come to terms with that. I think it's, you know, probably rare anecdotal to say that there are going to be parents that just are sick of having to pay for it, don't really care that much and just want to end it. But I think that's going to be the minority. And so allowing parents, um, and as you said, Jesse, even allowing the children at a certain point on to have some sort of voice in that conversation I think it serves society as a whole, but just saying that, no, they're a living being and we must not kill them. I think that's a shortcut to thinking. And it's actually a really cruel aspect um, to take, to take this in. Besides, I mean, if you're going to have 22 of them over for Christmas, Jesus, start (laughs) killing them off now. You have to let a few of them go. You've got 20 more. (laughs) Jeez. We can spare a few, all right? That's all I'm saying. That's horrible. Oh, I'm sorry, hun. Do you have a sore throat here? Let me cut your throat off for you. Jeez. Oh, here, this is a I wanted a cough drop. This is a razor. Just do it. Just do it. No, it's, it's horrible. We are totally kidding at this point. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, okay, well, I think I mean for once, I think this is the first time we've been in total agreement about something. It might be. It's amazing. Well, let's move on so we can disagree. All right, let's fucking keep this roll going. Um, okay, so the next article, Reuters, update three. Iran sees nuclear deal implementation starting by early January. And this is posted Friday, November 29. And it doesn't actually say who it's from. I'm going to... Oh, here it is. Uh, Frederick Dahl. Vienna, November 29. The implementation of a landmark deal between Iran and world powers to curb Tehran's nuclear program in return for some sanction relief is expected to start by early January. It's envoy to... I'm sorry. I was like in mid-burp when I said that. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> this is the beer, people. I'm sorry. It's envoy to the UN Atomic Agency said on Friday. The November 24 interim accord between the Islamic Republic and the United States, France, Germany, China, Russia, and Britain is seen as the first step towards resolving a decade-old dispute that has stirred fears of a new Middle East war. 
Israel, believed to be the region's only nuclear-armed state, has denounced the deal as a historic mistake, since it does not dismantle its arced, uh I'm sorry, um, since it does not dismantle its arc foe's uranium enrichment program. The Jewish state sees Iran as a threat to its existence. Israel's there's actually a good reason for that. Um, Israel's ambassador to the UN International Atomic Energy Agency told an IAEA board meeting that the increasing concerns regarding Iran's activities related to nuclear weapons should be thoroughly investigated and clarified. The agreement between Iran and six powers is designated to halt any further advances in Iran's nuclear campaign and to buy time for negotiations on a final settlement. After years of confrontation, it, is under, it has underlined a thaw in relations between Iran and the West after the election in June of a relative moderate, Hassan Rouhani, and Iranian president on a pledge to end Tehran's isolation and win some relief for sanctions that have battered the oil producer's economy. Iran agreed under the last Sunday's accord to stop its most sensitive nuclear work, uranium enrichment, to a fissile uh, concentration of 20%, and, I don't even know if I said fissile right, and cap other parts of its activity in exchange for some limiting easing of sanctions, including on trade in petrochemicals and gold. Refined uranium can fuel nuclear power plants, but also the fissile core of a bomb if processed to a high degree. Am I saying that right? Fissile? I feel like I'm not. I think it's fissile, but uh, that might be a good point to stop in this article because I think we've got the gist of it too. Good point. And do you want to say anything about before I jump in with my two cents? I would love you to jump in. There is... Another solution to this that isn't even being discussed, which there may be a number of reasons it's not being discussed, but uh, have you ever heard of lifters, the uh, liquid fuel thorium reactors? No. Okay, well, it's I am no physicist, so I cannot give you <laughs> any kind of a technical description, but it is a new kind of nuclear reactor. I believe they're trying them in India first. Um, but there are people promoting them, trying to get them all over the world. And um, there's a number of reasons for using them. Some of the biggest ones would be that the temperature things cook at, my highly non-technical term there, temperature things cook at <laughs> is too low for there to be a meltdown like you had in Japan with Fukushima. That can't right. happen with a lifter. Um one of the other benefits of it is the power generated from it is somehow in ways that a simple mind like mine cannot understand. It's not good for nuclear weapons. It could be used, I guess, in a pinch, but it's just, it's not the way you would want to go. And if you did go that way, it would be detectable from far away. I don't know how because I'm not a physicist. Right. But there's lots of reasons that thorium reactors are being promoted. And part of it has to do with the fact that people can't really use them for, for weapons. If they say, oh, we're building nuclear technology for power, and they go with a thorium reactor, it's going to be obvious if they aren't going with them for power. Right. Now, these thorium reactors have technical difficulties of their own, which is... Part of the reason they're not being adapted worldwide now, of course, part of the reason is that other people have money in plutonium and existing reactors. But even if lifters were like God's gift to nuclear technology, 
I lost my own thought here. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, um, it, it, it is something that, uh, I mean, if, you know, we're, we're working off of the idea that everyone would prefer not to have the ability to create an atom bomb with it. Well, no, no, no. Okay. I, I, let me, okay. I don't believe for one minute that Iran wants just nuclear power to light their street lamps. I believe they want bombs. But if the position of Iran versus the United States and Israel is, you know, we're not going to let you do this unless it's just for power, then the lifter technology seems like the perfect solution. And if they don't go for it, then you've got, then you can say, well, why aren't you going for it? Because this will clearly give you what you need without the nuclear weapons. And that kind of takes all the bluffing off the table. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that we're, we're trying to force, and this may be telling of my opinion personally here, but we're trying to force uh, another country not to do what we've done and what our allies have done um, for fear that they would do what we have done and our allies have done. Hey, might is right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I dig self-interest. I understand it 100%. Um, I am less of a nation builder than many of my uh, patriot friends. So I personally, and I'm like you, um, let's give as much freedom as possible to everyone until there's reason not to. Um, Iran has never openly declared war on anyone, um, meaning they've declared it and then they've done something about it. They've done a lot of, you know, support back deals, backdoor supporting roles in a virtually every conflict, but they've never overtly done it. I, I think so, a case could be made that we'd that we have fucked over Iran more than they fucked over us. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, my point is, why should we be so afraid of someone that's never done anything near what we've done? And and someone that we regularly kick around the block. I mean, it's it's not like we're the only people in in the Western world doing this. I mean, we're a part of the UN who is doing it. So it's not like we're the only people they would be all pissed at. I mean, <laughs> so I, I I just I don't understand the fear side of it, which is the driving force of the anti-Iran refining uranium uh, mantra that is being spread around the world. Okay, let I personally me... don't care. I mean, everyone else has uh, access to... Pakistan has a bomb. Pakistan. <laughs> I mean, fuck. <laughs> if, if they do and they are... Are they friends? I don't know. I mean, it depends on the day, I guess. But they have a bomb and the world hasn't ended. So I just... I don't... I, I think it's, it's literally like a medal that you pin on a developing society saying we have achieved second world status. I, I don't. I really don't think it's something that anyone would actually ever use, except for us when we did. So it's more of a statement than it is anything else. So I personally, I, I just really don't care. And if if there's a way for them to contribute um, by removing sanctions to the greater world economy that does dramatically affect us individually, then I you know I say lift sanctions, let them enrich uranium up until a point where they do something about it. Um, just in the same way that the rest of the world will react to us if we went crazy and started bombing people. So it's, you know, it's just allow the freedoms until someone abuses them and then start to refine them. Do you think that notion is 
too American to apply to a world stage? No, I don't. But it does call to mind anytime something becomes a big issue in the news, you have to wonder, first off, is it becoming a big issue because our government wants it to be a big issue in order to, you know, divert our attention to it? Or... Or did it become a big issue because through some means that our government could never possibly hope to to control, enough of the population's interest focused on it, politicizing it, and making it an issue, whether the government wanted it to be one or not? Because I think both happen and both tend to direct this country in ways that people can't predict. Yeah, I'd say that's that's a pretty good thought. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems Iran specifically, I mean, it very much seems like it's, it's a focus of, and I, I would, I would say much as with any, uh, Israel related politics, um, it's a focus of Israel pushing us to focus on it. Or is it because they're Muslim? I mean, is this... I, well, that, I think that's a direct reason why Israel is pushing because they, you know, Iran has come out and said Israel does not have a right to exist as a state. So it's not like it's a, a hidden, you know, opinion. I mean, they would prefer Israel not to exist. So, of course, Israel is going to have significant problem with that. And then since we're Israel's ally, they're going to f- push us in that. And then our citizens who love Israel for some unknown reason um, – you know, Israel shit doesn't stink apparently. And so we, we have to support all of their, all of their plays. I think our, our people are feeling it. And you can see that, especially in this particular situation, it's, it's the American people or the American media that's focusing on trying to back Iran because the, our, our administration, our current presidential administration is actually trying diplomacy for once which is very foreign to this modern America. And it has pissed off Israel dramatically by, you know, just this, the, the idea of this deal that we, we've been penning. Well, I, I would caution against interpreting, um, I mean, obviously Muslims and Jews do not get along. And the policies of many Muslim nations is that Israel should not exist. But I would caution against interpreting any uh, caution that our government takes against a Muslim nation as being pro-Israel, because I'm pretty sure that if you ask the average Muslim, because the average Muslim believes in Sharia law, I don't think they'd like the United States existing. I mean, they tend to focus on Israel because it's in their back door, but I don't think they like us any more than they like Israel. And if they had the power, they'd probably bomb us just as fast as they bomb Jerusalem and and Tel Aviv and all the other cities there. I don't think it's... I mean, it's easy to focus on the whole Muslim-Jewish conflict, but I think the Muslims have conflicts with more than just the Jews. Maybe the Jews are just the front line. Well, our our moment of agreeing has ended. <laughs> yeah, and, and I say this because it's I find it very interesting. Whenever I see um, 
any news agency or any um, cooking show or anyone traveling into Iran specifically and speaking to regular Iranians, not to the state or to state representatives, but just to the average Iranian on the on the street, they they don't hate America. They they're they love American culture. They uh, love what America is. Okay. And it's and that's why I always focus I just want to say this really quick. That's why I always focus on the Israel state and and the the um when when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about the state. I'm not talking about the individuals because you're going to find Palestinians, you're going to find Iranians and you're going to find um uh Israelian uh, that that do get along individually because they're focused on their lives and they're not focused on politics and and so I think it's important to to say that there because when you start saying that all Muslims believe in Sharia law and that means that they must by right hate America or hate Israel because you know we don't or because we have different ways of seeing the world I think it's it's a little uh, deconstructive to the complexity that really exists. Okay, well. First off, I didn't say all Muslims believe in Sharia law. Okay, that was my bad. And there was a study done recently. I don't have the link offhand. If anybody wants to challenge me on it, I will find it. But they did a study. Uh, the podcast Reasonable Doubts did a, a, an episode on this where they talked about uh, different Muslim countries. They asked them a number of questions. And the majority of people in the majority of Muslim nations said that homosexuals should be killed, that people leaving Islam, what do they call that? Um, you, not infidels, or? not infidels, not defecting. Oh, God. I, well, whatever it is, the, not, the name is not coming to me. But whatever. people who, who leave? Yeah. Um, those people should be stoned to death. Who convert? Um, or? Yeah. No, no. If you, if you are a Muslim and you leave Islam, you should be killed. Okay. Most people in most Muslim nations believe in that. Um, adultery, killed. I mean, there are a number of aspects of Sharia law that most Muslims in most Muslim countries believe. And they don't consider it political. They consider that part of their culture. I would, I would challenge that study um, in, in, in the regions because you could take the same study in certain regions of the U.S. and get the same things for Christianity. You know, there are fanatics everywhere you go, and regionally they tend to group. Okay, um, regionally, but regional is not all of Egypt. Regional might be, you know, the county north well, of that, Austin, Texas. And that's why I said, you know, I, I would challenge um, regionally because the, you know, taking all of America's size and comparing it to many, many countries, you know, you, it's easy to break up regionally. You know, we, we have such a huge, vast collection of people and, and just land mass that it would be easy to take one state and say, well, this is the, you know, roughly the size of Egypt. These people all think this one way. And, you know, I mean, it, the way the studies are done, it's easy to come to any conclusion, really, and especially when you're when when you're not privy to the individuals in that area, what they're really like. You know, I mean, it's, it's easy to come up with generic conclusions. As outside, for anyone, even my stuff. As outsiders, it's easy enough for us to look at Islam and Christianity and say they're both nuts. Yeah. But I think there's yeah. a danger to looking at them as being equal, equally nuts, in the context of today's civilization. Christianity had its teeth knocked out already centuries ago. Islam hasn't. 
Islam isn't subject to the same criticism. You don't have debates on Islam like you have on Christianity. It's true. And you don't have apostates. That's the word I was looking for earlier. You don't have Christians saying apostates should be murdered. Maybe you have a few, but not the majority. You actually literally have the majority of Muslims saying apostates should die. That's fucked up, especially because most people become a member of a religion at birth, not by choice. Yeah. So you are born into a religion, and should you ever decide you want to publicly announce you're not part of that religion, death penalty. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is part of the reason why Satanists find it so bombastic, so absurd that anyone would ever follow any either of these religions, or, or any religion for that matter, that does have absolutes like that. Um, part of the reason, in my opinion, why Satanism is so superior to other religions is that it, it doesn't have absolutes like that. Um, it's very much open to in, you know, the individual living their lives the way they want to within the bounds of the society. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful discussion to have, um, I think. And that's really why, you know, I brought this to the table because it's, it's interesting. Everyone's different takes on it and it's, especially with the recent um, state of our world, um, how we have focused on Islam and Muslims for obvious reasons, uh, more than we have on Christians and what that uh, has brought to light that many people were not aware of and these studies that you just spoke of, including. So um, I, I think it's a fantastic conversation and uh, I'm really, really glad that you were able to... Uh, bring to light some things that I was not aware of and to uh, have the conversation with me. And basically prove you don't know what the hell you're talking about and I know everything and everyone should just listen to me and ignore you totally. Is, it, is that, that's what you were trying to say, right? <laughs> I had to get off the floor. I was bowing. I was prostrating myself in, on the floor. Because I never make mistakes. <laughs> no, not once. I don't like that where this is going. <laughs> this is turning on me what the fuck alright well let's do a little bit of a peep show then we'll okay. dive into some creature feature and uh, I'll see you on the other side alright Welcome to another Old Nick Peep Show, the only segment that delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and intriguing information on all things Old Nick. Joining us as always is a very first Old Nick chick, which Marilyn Mansfield and her handsome beau, editor-in-chief, Warlock Zothamog. How are you both? Hello. Hi. We're doing well. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, it's been a month. We have uh, a new episode on the horizon sometime in this season, and it is the winter season, so... What do we have in store this month? Um, well, there's always a lot of stuff in store, you know. Um, last time we spoke about um, modeling for the magazine. So this time we thought we would talk about um, other ways you can contribute to Old Nick if you, you know, wish to. Um, there are several things you can submit, um, articles and 
photos and stuff um, to be considered for the issues. One of them is um, Wine, Women, and Song, and I'll let um, Zoth give you a little info about that. Yes, we have a regular segment in the magazine known as Wine, Women, and Song, where we do reviews of music, um, books, um, anything that's um, <clears throat> that could actually fit into those categories of wine, women, or song. And um, <laughs> we, <laughs> we actually um, look forward to lots of people um, submitting contributions for review because this is a great way for um, people to get exposure out there. And it's also you know, kind of makes my job a little easier if people are, are submitting things rather than me to seek out things, you know? So that's actually one uh, great way for people to contribute to Old Nick Magazine is to um, reach out to us, obviously, at uh, infooldnickmagazine.com, or they can reach out to us on Facebook and, you know, um, submit things for contributions. I've had a lot of people already um, reaching out to me for um, possible music reviews, so I'm I'm very happy. You know, I love to listen to new music, and especially if it's got a dark edge to it, I'm I'm all into it. I dive right in. So keep them coming, folks. Well, I got to ask you something about that, if I can. Sure. Because with the amount of content that you get sent to you, only a little bit can actually be fit in. I mean, usually with any publication, you have, you know, a finite number of words that you can have in any seg section. Right. So is it, do you ever find it difficult to filter through that where you, I don't know, maybe what are some of the, what are the, some of the uh, rules you just have w uh, internally of, of saying, well, we can't publish this or we're going to have to cut that. Is that ever challenging? Um, I kind of always think about my audience you know, like who is the old Nick reader? Like what is the type of music that would interest them? Or if, is this something that they would really be like um, looking forward to reading about? And sometimes, you know, if there's too much of the same type of genre, then I'll have to like, you know, omit something from there. Like I don't want to do like an entire, you know, article, you know, reviewing all you know, bands from the same type of genre. I kind of like to mix it up a little bit because that gives, you know, um, a wider perspective on the people who will be appreciating the article, you know. Not everyone listens to the same genre of music. So that way I try to appeal to as many people as possible. Nice. What about as far as like art, like stories or, or other articles, other content? Yeah, um, actually, you know, you can submit for uh, different um, either like book reviews, like we've had people such as, um, you know, uh, Reverend Slaughter who submits um, many often articles of book reviews, or we can also have submissions for excerpts from books, you know, in our fiction section, uh, our recent um, article, <clears throat> uh, we have an excerpt from The Wolf's Cut, which is an excellent uh, fictional novel very uh, sexy erotic stories you know nice. and uh, yeah you know so there's there's possibilities there as well for uh, submissions and contributions to Old Nick Magazine where you can either like review an entire book and submit that or you can actually you know submit an excerpt from your book to be included as part of the you know sort of uh, literary erotica of the magazine <laughs> One, one, nice. my favorite, um, one of my favorite things is um, what sort of man reads old Nick. I always think that's really fun. Oh, yes. yes you know, yes. Um, that's where we profile 
you know, the, the gentlemen who read the magazine. And, you know, they're usually uh, COS members who are, who are profiled in the What Sort of Man Reads Odenick. Well, I know for me as as a model in the magazine, it's nice to look at who who's reading it, you know. So yeah, <laughs> it's fun to see like a, a guy like in the magazine, <laughs> you know, from from my perspective, I, yeah. I always like that. I enjoy that. I think it's fun. So that's something you know you can you can submit for as well. Yeah, and that's also you know a regular feature in the magazine. That is actually interesting, too, because there's not a lot of, I mean, sometimes you get letter to the editor sections where, you know, people can actually have their thoughts published as well. But it's rare that you ever have a feature of a particular listener. And I agree with you, uh, Marilyn. I think it's amazing to be able to see the types of, of uh, gentlemen and, and ladies who actually, you know, do listen or um, do consume this content that you take so much time and effort in creating. Right. Um who who do people reach out to uh, for consideration? The the same email info at oldnickmagazine dot com. Okay. Yep. So you can submit there, you know, and um, mm-hmm. you know um, Bob will review everything and then you know get back to you. And um, you know, I mean, there's sometimes um, Zoth has so many music reviews that they won't fit in a particular issue, and they'll be saved for the next issue. So you know. Things like that, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, not everything is going to get used, but it's always cool to yeah. see what's out there, especially if it's something new. I, I always like to, you know, know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys don't. I mean, it's not just like articles or reviews or excerpts or beautiful women or or features. I mean, you still have a lot of other things that are in this magazine. Um, I mean, you, even comics. Like I, I've seen, you know, some comic strips in there from time to time. Is this something that you're ever reaching out, or do you just have it on staff artists that you you rely on? No. Once again, you know, these are like um, contributions that come in from people who want to be, you know, a part of Old Nick Magazine. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, you know, some people just like they they love the magazine so much. They're like, "Hey, I got something that would be great, you know, check this out." And we'll look at it and we'll be like, "Yeah, this will this will be good." Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, we also have a regular feature known as the Night Gallery. The Night yeah. Gallery is where we feature the um artwork of different artists. This particular issue, the the f- last issue, we featured the art of uh Tony Carnes and that, you know, it was really cool and every issue we always have you know, the artwork of different people in there. And that's kind of a way of us, you know, giving them exposure. And then, you know, sometimes it could be featured regularly, like you said, like in the comic strips. And, you know, sometimes we like to revisit um, people who have submitted and be like, hey, what have you done lately? You know, do you have anything new going on? Like sometimes somebody might send something and it's, you know, it's almost there, but it just didn't make the cut because we have too much stuff going on and we might want to revisit them, you know, like six months down the road and be like, hey, you know, um, what else is going on with you? So that's always good too, just to kind of keep those contacts going. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that's that's really great is to um, advertise an old Nick. Um, You know, uh, Bob puts out great deals um, all the time for um, ad space. You know, you're reaching 10,000 consumers, you know, to promote your business, whatever it is. And um, we, we've got great feedback from people who have, um, you know, put advertisements in the um, magazine for for whatever it is, you know, and um, music, books, the, their business themselves, whatever, you know. And um, so that's another way to be part of Old Nick, you know, and 
promote whatever it is you're promoting at the same time. You know, yeah. um, we have repeat, um, you know, people who, who repeatedly um, buy ad space because, you know, they get such a great, um, great feedback from it. So, you know, that's another way. There's always great, you know, rates, go, sales going on, too, with the rates and all. So uh -huh. it's it's very, very doable. And, you know, the the ads are, you know, um, we can have an ad created for you or you can submit an ad, you know, um, it's it's just a really great way to get to get out there, whatever you're trying to promote. So that's something else to consider as well. Advertising is huge. If, if you are um, trying to sell anything or promote anything, it, it can never be downplayed the importance of advertising. I mean, I, I work in the industry and I know for a fact, even in down economies, people are always spending money on ads because when it comes back, people are willing to spend money on what they've seen. And that's why the ads are so important. So definitely pay attention to Old Nick Magazine online and um, the social networks that he's on because, you know, getting uh, a deal on, on ad space, it, I mean, it can save you a significant amount of money. Ad space is any ad in any magazine can be really expensive. And so if you can find ways of cutting that down, that's amazing. Um, but I have actually personally known uh, and, and advertised with Old Nick and I know it's actually not a... Uh, horrendously expensive uh, endeavor. Oh, no. so. it's, it's so reasonably priced, I mean, yeah. compared to other magazines. It really is. I mean, you know, it's very affordable. And, you know, it, like I said, it is a great way to, you know, get whatever it is you're promoting out there to a lot of people, you know. So it's it's definitely worth every penny. <laughs> and it's yeah. a quality magazine. Yeah. It's, it's good printed on good paper. Your ad's going to look good. You know, it's it's definitely well worth the money spent. Absolutely. All right, and that's going to end this Old Nick Peep Show. Uh, we know the segment, it's never quite, quite enough, enough, but you can uncover Old Nick content online. So can you tell us uh, where can the audience go online to find out more information on Old Nick? You can visit oldnickmagazine.com. There you can sign up for email updates, newsletters, specials, etc. Yeah, definitely. Um, you want to be doing that as with Cyber Monday coming up. You want to be... Uh, Making sure that you're on that email receiving list to get all the great deals and the holidays and such so you can get your back issues. But as well, you can find Old Nick Magazine, of course, on magcloud.com where we do a lot of our print issues and skinmags.com where we do our more hardcore issues. We're also on most of the social media like Facebook, Twitter, um, MySpace, Blogspot. We're all over the place. Just look us up, Old Nick Magazine. And you can follow me on Twitter at Old Nick Chick for the latest Old Nick updates. And, of course, you can find both Marilyn and me on Facebook as well. Fantastic. Well, it is always a pleasure speaking with both of you, and I look forward to next month when maybe we can discover a little bit about the upcoming issue. Yes, definitely. Thanks for having us again. Oh, Absolutely. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Yeah. <laughs> 
Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by Nathan Gray of the band I Am Heresy. I was recommended, and actually we were sort of, uh, well, there's a pimp that got us together, I'll right. say. <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice to have you, Nathan. Uh, how well, are you, you today? I'm doing well, doing well. Just uh, finished doing some work and doing well. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I'm lucky enough to have today off. So oh, you went. Involved. That's very nice. <laughs> lazing around trying to uh, convince the, the family not to do anything for the holiday decorations yet. <laughs> like, Thanksgiving was just yesterday. Please, right. let's just right. hold off on just the madness. Just give it a second. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I just got back from Australia a couple of days ago, I want to say. Can't really Jeez. remember. So the jet lag's still in me. And then Thanksgiving happened. That was a blur. And then... Yeah, so hopefully, yeah, nothing yet. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm really actually excited to have you on here. I, I listened to some music, and I, I mean, this is fantastic. It, it, you have a really, really great sound. And Thank you. Before we really get into that, let's get into a little bit of you. Okay. No, that sounded weird, actually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that kind of show. Right. Uh, no, tell us, who, who is Nathan Gray? Give us a little uh, rundown here. Uh, let's see. Um, grew up a young black child and no, I, um, <laughs> let's see, uh, that's, that's an interesting question because I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, uh, a lot of the beginning of my life is somewhat boring. I would assume, um, don't want to go through, you know, my, when I was three, I, you know, yeah. but let's see, I grew up in a fairly religious household. My, my dad's a pastor, um, Presbyterian minister and, um, I guess for most of my life, uh, growing up, I, I was also fairly religious and considered myself a Christian. Um, it wasn't until a little later on, I, I started doing this band Boyce Sets Fire, which is, uh, has been, I guess, sort of my main band or the band that's, uh, pays the bills, so to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and up until I was probably about in my 30s, I'm going to say I'm 41 now, uh, till I was in my 30s, I was still, although struggling with it, uh, still sort of still had a lot of that goofy stuff in my head. And it, it wasn't really until I sat down, I mean, there's some Christopher Hitchens involved, but at the same time, I'd found the Satanic Bible and I, I, I'd never really given it much thought or time of day. Cause I always thought it was just one of those things that like rebellious teenagers read when, you know, yeah. they're pissed at their parents, you know? <laughs> um, so I just never gave it much of a chance. And it was funny that, um, when I did, you know, I, I read that and then I of course wanted more. So I went to Peter Gilmore's, uh, satanic scriptures and wanted to know more about it. And as I did, it, it helped, it helped me out a lot, I guess, in, in that it was very inspiring that um, coming out of this Christian background, um, it, it, it built, built a lot of fear for, you know, ghosts and demons and evil and blah, 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 and all this shit yeah. that, like, you know, you're told is out to get you. And then, you know, you read LaVey, you read Gilmore, stuff like that, and then you realize uh, not only, you know, already realizing that a lot of the shit that's been forced down your throat is complete horse shit, but 
that it's it's actually very cathartic to embrace what's what's what you've been told to fear. Yeah. And uh, and that's sort of, I guess, what's been a big part of me and in the formation of I am heresy and just in myself from my 30s till now. Uh, is really embracing that and those archetypes and the symbolism and the and the idea of um, Satanism that is really um, I don't know brought me to where I am now. Very cool. And I mean, would you say that your music is influenced by Satanism? Absolutely. I am heresy, most certainly. Um, most uh, everyone in the band would identify themselves as. Um, Boy Sets Fire, not as much. It's a weird combination of people in that band. (laughs) You've got me and then um, uh, one of the other guys is still considers himself a Christian. A couple of the guys, uh, one of the guys is a Hindu. (laughs) Runs the gamut. Very bizarre (laughs) group of friends. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where you've been friends for so long, that kind of stuff. It's like we don't even talk about it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I, I but, totally understand that. I, I actually kind of like that because then you get a a healthy mix of opinion and it sometimes inspires some really good discussions. Oh, yeah. And that's that's the best part about it, especially when you're involved with people who have certain belief systems, but they don't they're not uh, religious with it. They're not really churchy or whatever. They're not you know, they don't belong to anything. They don't have a, a real reason to push an agenda. It's just sort of like, well, this is sort of what works for me. We can hang out and talk about it or we can just play music and say, fuck it. Who gives a shit? You know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it is, it is very nice, but it, but it is also why I decided to, um, get involved in with I'm heresy and start that band. Uh, mostly because it, (sighs) boy sets fire is, is sort of a political entity and has been for about 20 years, you know, very, uh, speaking out about repression and, uh, and, you know, thing, government and things like that. And it, it occurred to me that I, I felt we were sort of missing the point a little bit. And, and it wasn't something that I was able to really bring forth with boys that's fire because in that band, seeing as we don't agree on everything, we only really talk about stuff that we can all sort of get along on. You know, the other stuff, I mean, you know, you don't want to get into the fight. It doesn't matter, you know. Um, But with I'm Heresy, I was able to really look into the fact that I I guess I started to find it very strange that people who speak out about tangible governments and tangible oppression are able to create their own form of oppression in their minds. (laughs) <laughs> and and that seems strange to me because if you're out there fighting against how how do you fight against real actual touchable people if you're busy creating ones that you can't prove exist mm-hmm. so uh, so that was something that really led me into with I am heresy into getting uh, I don't know uh, trying to have a voice on on that subject. Yeah, and I mean, for the audience, a little bit of background here. So you were the front man of Boy Sets Fire. Uh, as a musician, is are, are you primarily a vocalist? Yes, yeah. I, <laughs> I could say I'd do other things, but someone will call me out, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not good at anything else, I, I would say. I, you know, I do, I do a little bit of writing, but usually my 
my form of writing is I pick out a few power chords and then I go talk to a real guitarist, you know, mm, nice. <laughs> go, Hey, make this sound like good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, but yes, I, I'm mainly a vocalist and always have been since I was a little kid. Uh, that was what always moved me. Who were your, uh, earlier in, in musical inspirations? Uh, well, funny enough, when I was, when I was a young kid, a lot of my musical inspiration came from musicals, uh, West Side wow, Story, Man of La Mancha, uh, Les Mis, things like that. Those were huge for me. My parents, it was funny because my parents had a lot of old, like rock and folk albums, Dylan, stuff like that. And it never really did anything for me until later. What really attracted me was that dramatic, like, there, there's just something about a good musical that I, I don't think you can get anywhere else. I mean, sure, it's campy and stuff like that, but it's it's part of what draws me to music. You know, that sort of campiness and that sort of over-dramatized, heartfelt, you know, heart-on-your-sleeve sort of feeling. I did not expect to hear that. No, no one does. <laughs> got to be honest. But, I mean, when you describe it that way, it is easy to see parallels with oh, yeah. um oh well i mean anybody that that's involved in satanism should be able to understand that you know what yeah. i mean there is a high yeah. level of camp and drama involved with with satanism you know yeah. um as as there should be <laughs> I, I think it would be very boring if it didn't you yeah. know uh so so you know i i guess that's always been something that's drawn me the drama and comedy and things that are just overly intense you know I've, I've just always been very cool so so when i mean keeping that in mind when you're writing lyrics or when you're performing on stage do you, you do you take any of those theatrics and, and apply that to the music uh i do i feel that you know i mean well geez when when we're playing i, I i've seen video of myself and i look like an insane monkey most of the time, it's just I'm on one side of stage, on the other, I'm freaking out over here somewhere, rolling around the floor. It, it's somewhat like an exorcism at times. Um, so it's so yes, I do. I I, I I don't guess I get too into like dressing up and stuff like that. But like you know, I, I think a good performance isn't just music. There's there's something to it. You're putting your whole heart and body into it. And if you're not, then you're not really motivating people and you're not really pushing. Um, and I guess that's fine for some people if they just want to get up, up there and rock out and, you know, do their thing. That's cool. But for me, music is a whole body experience. So. Yeah. And and I think genre has a lot to do with it too, because I would never imagine, you know, a folk band right. getting crazy or, or a classical orchestra. You, you know, don't remember like, Simon and Garfunkel rolling around on the floor while they were playing? I don't. I thought I that was a big one. thing of their stage show. <laughs> um, so genre has a lot to do with it. And we yeah. haven't even mentioned it um, for people who don't know in the audience. What what genre would you call uh, I Am Heresy? Uh, it, I, funny enough, it's difficult. I, I feel that I Am Heresy definitely has more of a metal, like a heavy metal uh, feel to it and especially with the newer album coming out probably from the song you have you might not be able to get it that's got sort of more of a punk feel to it mm -hmm. but um a lot of what we've been moving towards um is a good mix of um 
say the black metal and death metal with a bit of punk with a bit of hardcore and also um what people notice is there's almost a bit of a dark folk to it uh some of the singing parts uh are very um anthemic and folkish i feel cool yeah so that's that's been something especially with the new album coming out we'll be coming out with a new album in either february or march it'll be late february early march uh called thy will and that album we definitely did a lot of work where we really wanted to delve into not just being this band that just kicks you in the teeth that there's more to it sort of an intensity and a building and dynamics and uh some singing and things like that to it also oh yeah well you just mentioned we are going to be playing here in a minute uh the track hive mind Mm -hmm. from the ep that's been released already oday star son of dawn and i'm speaking with nathan gray from i am heresy Mm -hmm. so um let's talk briefly about uh getting the band up off the ground and and developing an audience yeah sure Uh, is that something that do you think just comes naturally with the course? You like you just make the music and the audience finds you, or do you feel like you had to? I mean, because you had an established, um, right, a very popular band already. Mm-hmm. Sure. Was um, it easy to jump ship into a different band and then start the audience building from there? Did you steal any of that audience? Uh, no, it was actually very difficult, and I've actually been very excited about the fact I, that's a weird thing to say but it's something that you know with boy sets fire we have a definite audience mm-hmm. um and you know we can play shows here in the u.s you know maybe five hundred thousand people will show up i get, we go over to germany and tens of thousands of people will show up to shows mm-hmm. uh it's it's very especially in germany very massive um and 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 at times, although that's awesome, obviously that's awesome, it's sort of cool to go somewhere where I have to fight again, you know? And I, I feel that I, I, I get a little bored if, I, if, I, if it's too easy, you know? And, and I mean, we, we put in the work, so it's not too easy. But, you know, after a while, it's like, oh, I want to feel that again. I want to be able to go to a club, there'd be 15 people, and I have to prove myself, you know? Yeah. And, and that's been a great thing with I Am Heresy because it's very different than Boy Sets Fire. Boy Sets Fire definitely, although coming out of the hardcore scene, uh, has more of a rock feel to it at times. Um, and with I Am Heresy, it's definitely a more harder-edged, uh, a crazier feel to it. And um, some people have definitely come over, love the heresy stuff as well as Boy Sets Fire. Some people don't care either way, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 been a it's been a great journey for me because i i just I, I love the feeling of getting into a room and no one needing to pay attention to me you know they're yeah. they're just there because they're they want to check it out or maybe they accidentally walked into the wrong room you know um but but it's that great feeling of going okay it's on me now like they're <laughs> not necessarily here to see me they're not they don't already know what we're doing I've got to show them, you know, and get in their face and force them to understand, you know? So it's, it's, it's that, that war, that going to battle mindset that really excites me. I feel. 
All right. Well, let's listen to this track. Okay. Again, this is Hive Mind from the existing EP that you can actually pick up on iTunes um, <laughs> and a couple other places too. Uh, yeah. Day Star, Son of Dawn. Ah! 
All right. And no, again, that was uh, that, that was Hive Mind from the EP Day Star Son of Dawn. Holy fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's hardcore. That's badass. Thank you. I mean, when you were when you were describing a lot of rock and, and, and uh, you know, a little bit of punk influence in some of the in some of the music. I mean, I when I listen to this, I definitely get a sense of, of just, you know, good old fashioned hardcore. Um, oh, yeah. I was stationed in Germany for a little while and we saw a lot of um, really small uh it, it was just a, this old abandoned warehouse that they just turned into a, like this little mini club. Sure, so yeah. A lot of small performances of punk and hardcore. Um, there's a really great audience out over there for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and the venues are just awesome. At least where I was in in Weinheim and in Mannheim. But oh um, yeah, all over. Wonderful. Yeah, loved loved the the shows. Do you do you ever get to play um, small venues like that? Uh, we do now. With like with I am Heresy, I, we went over and we did a tour and got to play some smaller places in Munich and um, Cologne and a couple of different areas and, and it was nice like coming back to those areas and playing clubs that Boy Sets Fire hadn't played in like twenty years, you know, mm-hmm. um, sort of redoing that circuit, you know, and just dirty ass little basement club, um, yeah, it's it's been great. Hell yeah! So is uh, is the EP released going to be the same title, or is the EP's title the same as the forthcoming album? Uh, no, the uh, the EP is actually separate from the forthcoming album. Um, that O Day Star Son of Dawn uh, came out not that long after our first. Um, I want to say full length, but it's the shortest full length you'll ever hear in your life. So it's it's, it's like a twenty minute quote unquote full length. Um, Mm -hmm. so, um, and that came out, uh, I want to say nearly a year ago. Um, and since then we've been working on this new album, uh, which is going to be called thy will. Nice. And that you said is, uh, February or, or March next year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'll either be, we're shooting it either the last Monday in February, the first Monday in March. Nice. Why do you think, if I can sort of jump back to the audience here, um, sure. Um, why do you think that uh, you get such a larger response in overseas than you do domestic? Uh, funny enough, I think it has a lot to do with uh, number one, the style of music. It's very big over there. You know, metal and hardcore, punk, it definitely gets a good audience over there. But I, I also want to say that there's more of an appreciation for music in general over there. I feel that in the U.S., people are very jaded. Um, and they've gotten to the point where it's just like, yeah, I can see a band anytime. Who cares? What's the difference? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and whereas in Germany especially, and, and in a lot of Europe, it's, it's more people's lives. Like music touches them more. And it's it's more part of their daily routine in life, whereas with some people here, it's like music is an afterthought, mm-hmm. uh, which is sad to me. I, I don't. Uh, that sounds absolutely horrifying to me to have music be such a yeah. blah thing. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I I also I mean, with as far as. With me, I guess, with Boys That's Fire, we had a lot of really good promotion, stuff like that, back in, like, 2000. And um, and I think that that obviously helped us out a lot yeah. <laughs> over there. 
Um, and, and I think also like with I am heresy and voice sets fire, having a band that's very outspoken about certain things, I think that, uh, you know, that either draws or repels people. It doesn't do anything else. There's no middle ground really when you're being very upfront about things. There's never like a, eh, well, you know, I could take them or leave them. Usually it's either like, I fucking love that band or I fucking hate that shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. Like it's just no real in between area. So I think that that helps with having a very passionate uh, audience, I guess. Who, who all makes up I Am Heresy? It is, it's me, uh, my son, Simon, who's Whoa. 19. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, we have three guitarists. Uh, my son, Simon, this guy, Greg and Jay, who are the three guitarists in the band. And then Matt plays bass and our drummer's name is crumbs. Now, the funny thing is that Jay and crumbs are brothers <laughs> and then Simon's <laughs> my son. So it's a giant family of weird affair of things going yeah. on in that band. 19. What, what's it like playing with your son? Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's funny because I guess for us, like we've, we obviously get asked that a lot. And for us, it's just sort of like doing anything else together. You know, we yeah. both <clears throat> like the same music. We both have a lot of the same ideas, um, whether they be, you know, on religion or politics or whatever. We, we're very, very alike, which, yeah, I guess that is very strange for for most people thinking of them as a 19 year old and their parents, like obviously I would have never been able to join a band with my dad, you know, yeah. and be able to agree All on the anything. Choir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I, just, I don't think we would have been able to agree on much for it. But, um, so it, yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause if I sit back and think about it, I can see why people are like, what the hell, how did that work? You know? Yeah. But for us, it's just so normal. It just, it never really even faced me, you know? That's cool. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this upcoming album. Where can people go to find you online? Uh, you can you can either go to our Facebook page, um, and however that crap works. How does that? <laughs> I feel like an old man. Like how does the Facebook <laughs> work? It's, um, I think we're it's, on the Facebook. <laughs> we're on the Facebook. You can just find us on there. Uh, it's, I think it's, I am heresy.com backs. No. How do they do that? It's like, I'll do, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's facebook.com slash. Thank you. Probably I'm just, I am heresy. Never. I'm going to say all kinds of dumb shit trying to figure it out. <laughs> but, um, you can go on YouTube, you can Google us, you can, um, go to iTunes. Um, you can find, uh, the, guy that put out the well the label that put out the last two albums is called magic bullet uh records out of virginia and uh this next album we just signed with a label uh called century media who is a very big metal label um based in i think their offices are in germany and california dortmund and somewhere in California. (laughs) But uh, we just signed with them, and that's what the the new album will be out on Century Media. Well, congratulations, man. That's very cool. Thanks. uh, Yeah, I'm very excited that we were able to do that with this band. It was, was, you know, it started as just being something that I was trying to do separate, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, it 
it really caught on. And I, I've been really excited about that because that doesn't always get to happen. You don't get to start over at 41, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not what people get to do normally. And it's, it's been like one of those things where, wow, fucking run with it. Cause that's, that's awesome that Hell anybody yeah. would give a shit what someone at 41 does musically, you know? <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you, you have, you have the experience, you know, and you've, you've cut your teeth on it with another very, very successful, uh, band. Sure. So you know what you're doing and moving forward, you know, the experiences that you've had are going to help really not only help your son, which is hugely important, but, yeah. uh, you know, the success of the band as a whole. And it, it feels like that's sort of the point, you know, of it Absolutely, you know, yeah. to, to, to find success, to, to, to know your weaknesses, to know your strengths and to, uh, I guess, take advantage of that and be mm. able to do what you can with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, you know, keep it going for yourself and, uh, out to the audience, get out there, uh, check out I am heresy.com or check on the Facebook cause they're there. <laughs> the Facebook <laughs> for those and you can, walkers. It's on yeah. the Facebooks. <laughs> You can actually listen to uh, a significant amount of their music online. I mean, you know, you have yeah. your previews with iTunes and stuff, so definitely check them out. Uh, it's it's really, really good, good music. Thank and you. Uh, again, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate have, you having me. Well, until next time, hail Satan. All right, take care. And that's it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website. And I, you know what? I did this again. I didn't ask you where people can find I Dream of Jesse online. Well, I'm at Damned Lucky on Twitter, and there's drafts from a satanic windbag. WordPress.com is my blog. Hell yeah. So you're going to see those um, URLs and information also on 9centspodcast.com. Um, send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com or directly reach out to Damned Lucky at our blog or Twitter and let us know what you think. Corrections, critiques, crom- comments, suggestions, anything. Just let us know. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 cents via iTunes by searching 9 cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And remember, people, the only way this is going to continue is if you spread the word. Tell someone about 9 cents, get them to listen to it, and we'll get them hooked. Let's build this podcast together. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Jesse. The amazing Jesse. Until next week, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan.